Okay, I'm going to do a bit of story time here about my nature journaling experience. I want to encourage you all because I know that we are all coming at this from different levels of skill, different levels of experience. About a year and a half ago, I endeavored to get my children outside more, go for cold walks, go for warm walks, go for walks in all types of weather. And I had been reading Charlotte Mason and she had inspired me to do this thing, this hard thing with young children. I really loved the idea. I loved all of the benefits that she extolled with that. I, I really, myself, I have always loved nature. I've loved being outside. I've loved the contemplative time that I've had being outside and beauty. Really just soaking up God's creation has been a good pastime of mine that really got out of the habit of doing that when I had small children. It seemed like a very insurmountable thing to do. It seemed like a hassle and it seemed like a waste of time. I also noticed that the productivity part of me and the organizational part of me really kicked into high gear in these times when my children have been young. I don't know if any of you out there have experienced a similar thing. I think when a creative person is forced into being in that brain space more, it just kind of kills you a little bit inside. To be honest, I don't really know how to say it otherwise. When you're not giving your brain a full breadth of knowledge and rest and variety, I think that you're just bound to go a little bit insane. And I think that's what happened with me. I um, sadly, like most people do, those creative pursuits tend to be one of the first things that go when you just have a big responsibility in your life and lots of high stress and maybe not a lot of sleep and your body is not functioning on all cylinders because you've had babies and you're maybe malnourished in some ways because you're caring for others. And that's okay because God made it to be that way. But if I can at all help you and encourage you to keep on when it's hard in these times when our children are small to set aside some small amount of time to have a quiet time of rest for your mind and your day to look upon beauty and appreciate God's creation do some mental work of a memory drawing or drawing a portrait of someone you're looking at in front of you of course being in nature doing a sketch of that we see all of those types of drawings in a Charlotte Mason education and I do want to go over those step by step or type by type in another podcast, but that's another day. You can look forward to that. When we offer our brains a variety of work and a variety of interest and a variety of rest, we are more sane. God did not design us to burn out. When we are stressing our brain in one area, things really aren't going to go well for us or our household. And I really did see that. So I guess that's part of the storytelling part of this podcast is that I've experienced this in my own life. And it was a very dark, depressing, and sad time in my life when I didn't have art and drawing as a part of it. When I saw other things as more necessary, my life suffered. And other people in my life suffered because of that. So without wanting to go too much further into that, I want to encourage you that it really is okay to take a few minutes out of your day to do a sketch or to just even look to just sit down and not have any pressures on you and if that takes a minute for you to sit down and pray to the lord for him to take away your thought burdens for a minute so that you can relax 
that I think is a very good idea to do that. You know my email address if there's anything in your life that you are struggling with in that area. Uh, I'm open to listening because I've been there before. I remember when I first tried to get out and do nature sketches, I thought they were horrible. I hated doing it. I had never done this type of sketching in my life before. I have talked about it in another episode too, um, that in my academia drawing lessons, we were not instructed to go outside and sketch from nature. We were primarily sketching from indoor models with artificial light situations. And though it served its purpose, they it was not sketching from true life with natural light, which I just think, you know, I've done it for a year and a half now, and I just think it's better. Many reasons that I'm about to go into. I did not enjoy nature journaling at first. I enjoyed writing down my discoveries in nature, but as far as the actual drawing of the elements of the natural world around me, it felt very, very overwhelming. There's so much for our eyes to see. And in the beginning, I got pretty overwhelmed with what the most important thing was to get down and where to look and what to put on my paper. Color matching at that point was just kind of way out of the picture. I was doing a lot of pen drawing just to get shapes down. I kind of wonder if any of you had that problem when you first started nature sketching. I'm wondering specifically friends um, on Instagram. I know Plain Air Finds up in Canada, um, nature sketches, and I don't know where you're from, Aneta. And I don't know how to pronounce your name, actually. I just know what your name is. How did you guys get into the field sketch and nature journaling? And at first, was it completely overwhelming to you? I want to know that. That would be interesting to find out. All this to say, I want to help you make this a possibility in your life. That's really one of my big aims. Anything that I share on Instagram, anything that I share on the podcast is things that would have been helpful for me to know when I started out, or just as I'm going along now, things that I stumble across, I want to share with you so that it can help you and give you ideas. And now that we have had story time experience, I want to jump right into the laws of Fiesole, because why do we draw from nature? That's the question, and I'm going to try to answer it any way I can here, and I will have Ruskin help me. In the introduction to The Laws of Fiesole, the writer who is named Bill Beckley, he wrote the introduction to this, he says that he said he wanted to teach drawing so that his pupils might love nature, rather than teach the observation of nature so that they might learn to draw. Wow, right off the bat, that's pretty, I guess, viewpoint changing in my opinion. For Ruskin, art could not exist apart from social and moral concerns. He linked moral truth to the understanding of nature. Art is a way to appreciate nature through learning how to express it. Ruskin was suspicious of the new medium of photography because he believed photography bypassed the efforts of observation. Drawing, on the other hand, is work, and as Ruskin points out, benefits from other forms of labor. In Life and Its Arts, he writes, I myself have washed a flight of stone stairs with bucket and broom in a Savoy Inn, where they hadn't washed their stairs since they first went up, and I never made a better sketch than that afternoon. And in the sidebar there, I wrote, love that. 
Ruskin states his ideas on art and nature, most emphatically in his best-known Oxford lecture, All Great Art is Praise, which opens The Laws of Fieseli. It's so good. You just have to get this book, The Laws of Fieseli, by John Ruskin, if you don't already own it. Here's an excerpt of All Great Art is Praise. But it would be better for us that all the pictures in the world perished than that the birds should cease to build nests. And it is precisely in its expression of this inferiority that the drawing itself becomes valuable. It is because a photograph cannot condemn itself that it is worthless. The glory of a great picture is its shame, and the charm of it in expressing the pleasure of a loving heart, that there is something better than the picture. So right there, we have a great introduction into why we draw from nature. And I think that Ruskin would say that we draw from nature to more appreciate nature instead of how to learn to draw. And if we're taking the idea that by drawing, we're forming a relationship with something, then I think that that rings true because anything you've formed a relationship with, whether it be a person or an object of beauty or a book or an author, you don't want that thing to be harmed or to die, or you want to be able to enjoy that thing for a lifetime. This is, I think, why one of his big ideas in his lifetime was conservation of natural landscapes. I know that he, um, I think he started an organization about this and a Skechers Guild. And I think this might be the St. George's Guild. I'm going to look that up. Okay. Yep. I just read the Wikipedia article to the Guild of St. George. And I'm just going to link it in the show notes because you need to read it. It's amazing. Yes, Ruskin loved the natural world, and conservation was a very important topic to him. Okay, going along with the topic of why we draw from nature, now that you know my background and story, and we've talked about Ruskin and his amazing tie-in with that, we gain our beauty sense from nature. And Ruskin does talk about this a lot in The Laws of Fiesole. He just told us that he would have rather had a bird's nest than any paintings of it from anyone. God, as our creator, has created the standard for beauty. This is on page 34 of The Laws of Fiesole in my copy of it. Drawing may be taught by tutors, but design only by heaven. And to every scholar who thinks to sell his inspiration, heaven refuses its help. Wow, there we have a pretty big idea. Design only by heaven. And this also gets me thinking about the biblical tabernacle, that that was a copy of the heavenly things. God handed that design decree down to us and to the creators of the tabernacle. And he required craftsmen and skilled artisans to build his tabernacle after the copy of the Holy of Holies in heaven. And that to me just blows my mind that we really, we need that objective standard of beauty because what we see in our culture sometimes now in modernity and post-modernity is a forsaking of that. We want to create beauty on our own and we want to be the arbiters of beauty, but we are not. We are, we are subject to laws and we are subject to God's beauty standards. And that is something outside of us that we just cannot conjure up within us. 
it has to be told us from the outside. And that's just so amazing to me that even in the category of beauty, we need help. And even being a created being ourselves, we need help. We need our God. Another reason we draw from nature is that it is challenging. I could easily get discouraged with the drawing in nature because I have mentioned this before on the podcast that the light changes pretty rapidly in a real day with real sunlight and colors change quickly. Positions of things change quickly in the wind and animals move. Those things are difficult. Nature drawings can really hone my attention. I often have to give myself an idea of maybe 15 or 20 minutes to spend on this one. And that is also depending on the type of drawing that I'm doing. Brush drawing a gestural form is different than a more Ruskin-esque or I guess Collingwood mode of drawing. They're different. I may have now recently found the missing link to connect those two things, which I will also likely be talking about in a different episode. One is a study more of form, and another is a study in outlines with boundaries, bounding color, correct proportions. Uh, You're going to spend a lot more time on a drawing like that than you are in a brush-drawn form drawing. And I hope that doesn't deter you from trying both because we need a variety. We really do. We need a variety of different type of work even within drawing lessons. So there's just an extra encouragement and an extra bit of information for you that Charlotte Mason had a lot of variety over subjects, but she also had some variety within subjects. I noticed that listening to a lot of the geography podcasts from a delectable education just recently here that uh, some of the map work was had a ton of variety. So that that keeps a child's interest as well. If you are having them sit down to doing brush drawing work almost every lesson, that can get a little bit tiring and they can get to expecting that and get too much of into a routine. I would challenge you or advise you to switch it up to doing a chalk drawing on a blackboard or to work in some portraiture. You could you could be the model. I've done that for one of my children. I've stood in another part of the room at least 12 feet away so that he could try to capture my whole body. I was careful to point out to him that my head had a certain size. If all he could do was to just take the size of my head and try to measure everything else in the drawing against that, that could help him make the right proportions of the human body. I'm trying to illustrate that that's a different type of drawing too. So we just need some different types of work so that we could be a very well-rounded drawer. There's so many things to draw and so many things that need recording and need studying. It's challenging. Yes, it moves and lives and breathes, but I think I'd rather have it that way because Charlotte Mason is a living education. I've often thought about that. It's a living education. Why not make drawings that are living based off of real living things in a living education? Think about that. Knowing true color sense. I think this relates to the beauty standard issue, but a lot of times Ruskin is alluding to a color choice or a color mixture, and he marries it with a natural object, such as a flower or a gem. I enjoyed thoroughly reading his color theory portion of of the Laws of Fiesole because it's so poetic. It's just lovely listening to the way he would think about colors. I think he said the primary colors were flowers, And then he had the secondary colors be gems of the earth as a principle. Maybe I'll find out more about why, the why behind that, as I read more Ruskin. For now, I think that's just an interesting thought to look at, that he's always attaching the beauty of something to our creator 
or to the creation. It just gets us thinking that maybe we should know the color of primrose, the color of the sea in this area of the world. I mean, these things have colors. We associate certain things with certain colors. And my associations with some colors are not always to a natural object. And maybe I need to think about rewiring my brain to think of colors more in terms of nature. If I want to talk about a certain type of blue, I should probably think about the type of blue that the sky is a certain time of day. And this also, I think, can be helped by picture study in Charlotte Mason, because one of the things we really try to pull out in a study like that is the time of day and what types of clues in this work of art are telling us what time of day it is or the sun's position in the sky. Sometimes the only clue that's telling you that is the color of the sky. These things all just work together so interestingly, purposefully, that I, it's constantly why I'm making all these connections and intertwining all these subjects in a Charlotte Mason education. And I'm sure you do too. Another reason is that I have for understanding. Coming at it from the scientific perspective of understanding, to draw in nature is to experience it with our five senses. One thing lately I've noticed when I'm drawing in nature is that because I'm staying still and I'm really directing my thoughts focusedly on something, I see things that I would not have seen. Usually birds in the sky because lately I've focused on trees. I wouldn't have seen that flock of geese or the seagulls or the one bird hopping around in the branches had I not been sat down to do a sketch of something around it. I, the other day, heard the sound of ice melting. I thought it was a bug, but it's the dead of January here. As I pursued the noise more, I realized it was actually the sound of snow melting on this piece of grass that was just sliding down this grass, and it was just loud. We were the only ones there at the park. That probably helped. Somehow I didn't hear the shrieks of my children over this, but it just kind of amazed me that I heard a sound in nature I'd never heard before. So neat. Drawing can get you out and get you noticing more about your environment than you thought you would have known. Another example I have would be, I definitely know more about trees now that I've been drawing them for a couple of months. I've noticed how you can determine the variety in a bunch of different ways. When you're looking in textbooks, usually it's wanting to you to classify them by bark type or fruit type, leaf shape, leaf color, all of these things that are more up-close observations. Especially in landscape drawing, you are offered the advantage of observing the tree from far away. And I also think landscape drawing is a great way to understand more about geography, not just natural history science type, but also geography. I've often thought how much of a nature journal experience is actually learning a lot of geography. If you're trying to capture more landscape, making sure that you're putting some sky in your paintings and getting some broad contextual paintings or renderings done. Map making, I wouldn't say as a part of a geography lesson, but in addition to just, I guess, as the child is inspired to do so, perhaps by a park trip, maybe they want to make a map of their walk that day. I don't know why they couldn't record that in their nature notebook. And then it becomes just another thing that they've learned in another area of study but it's kind of all wrapped up in the study of drawing and natural history as well. This is the portion of the show where it's the bi-weekly dose of Mason. And I know I talk about Mason throughout, but this is where I do a concerted effort in sharing a passage of hers. The passage that I could not find from episode 12 
12, where I'm talking about drawing being for the mind, um, the things that we need to keep in mind when we're teaching children and in the general pursuit of art and drawing studies. This is on page 313, Home Education, which is volume one. Children have art in them. With art, as with so many other things in a child, we must believe that it is there or we shall never find it. Once again, here is a delicate Ariel, whom it is our part to deliver from his bonds. Therefore, we set twig or growing flower before a child and let him deal with it as he chooses. He will find his own way to form and color, and our help may very well be limited at first to such technical matters as the mixing of colors and the like, in order that we may not impede the child's freedom or hinder the deliverance of the art that is in him, we must be careful not to offer any aids in the way of guiding lines, points, and such other crutches. And also, he should work in the easiest medium, that is, with paintbrush or with charcoal, and not with a black lead pencil. Boxes of cheap colors are to be avoided. Children are worthy of the best, and some half dozen tubes of really good colors will last a long time and will satisfy the eye of the little artists. I go back to that passage time and time again. It just says it all. A child is a person. A child is worthy of good things. They are a person created with these certain appetencies and knowledge and talents and art. Our mission, therefore, is to respect that and to not hinder them with too many technical matters, especially when they're young. Definitely not to take away their interest by doing any various amount of over-explaining or too much talky-talky, as she said in other volumes, and not crutches. Well, thank you for listening in again. I really do appreciate you and your time that you take to listen to the show. I'm very excited for this year. Some conversations will be had with others that I'm really excited for. I'm excited for reading more. This is a great accountability tool for me to keep doing my research on drawing, keep anchoring myself in the Charlotte Mason method because we need to read widely and sometimes I'm forgetful and I forget what the most important things are in the method. Hey, speaking of forgetfulness, I forgot to tell you, you can always contact me at my email address, bestowingthebrush at gmail.com. Also, if you're on Instagram, head over there. I'm at bestowingthebrush over there and I do lots of visuals. I have quite a few videos on my IGTV now. I also have little highlights saved back from when I wasn't doing IGTV yet. And I pretty much use that as a venue to microblog, get some ideas out there and try to engage with you guys and just see what's going on and hoping that Things are going well with you in your drawing pursuits and in your Charlotte Mason school pursuits. So something exciting recently is that we have started doing a virtual Fesole club. And I'm so excited that so many of you are participating in that and sending in your drawings. All you have to do is go to my episode that I aired last, which was episode 17 called the Fesole club, the lemon and all the details for entering the drawing club is there. It's totally free. It's just something that we're doing informally on Instagram to stay connected and to stay accountable to one another for increasing our observation skills and our drawing skills. So I'll be excited to see you there. 
And thanks again for listening to the show. And I hope that you all got something out of this episode about my experience with nature journaling the last year. All right. See you later, folks. Happy drawing. <laughs>